welcome to season two of the ISC podcast. My name is Genevieve Stowe, and throughout this series, I will talk with industry leaders about their career journeys and what they've learned along the way. It won't just be me doing the interviewing though, there'll be cameos from the ISC team and even some ISC members too. Some of these episodes have been pre-recorded with a live audience. Therefore, some of the questions you hear will have come from ISC members themselves, and we request your patience with any technical issues we might have had. In February of this year, Olivia Cooper spoke with Kate Fairhead about her unique entrance into the insurance industry by way of 10 years in HR and a stint at John Lewis. Olivia touches on her different placements that she's had while working at Willis Powers Watson, including in Singapore and Mumbai, and the challenges she faced leading in different territories. Olivia stresses the value these experiences have, especially when cultivating a network and the value those connections hold for career development. The pair also discuss self-advocacy and the importance of putting yourself forward for a role. Thank you so much to Olivia and Kate. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Hi everyone, good afternoon. My name's Kate Fairhead and I currently work at Marsh. Um, I'm just going to hand over to Olivia to do a very brief introduction to herself and then we'll kind of get cracking with the discussion. Thank you very much, Kate. So good afternoon, good evening, and I think even good morning to some of um, the folks on the call. So I'm Olivia Cooper. Um, I'm Managing Director of the Financial Lines and Executive Risk Specialty Consulting Business at Willis Taz Watson, uh, and I've been there since 2005. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, but let's start off with hopefully what is a nice, easy opener question. Um, Olivia, can you share a little bit about your career path? Um, how have you got to where you've got to? Yeah, sure. Um, so probably best to start, we'll do current and work backwards because that's maybe easier. Uh, so I've been in my current role um, since uh, May of 2017. Um, and effectively, I'm responsible for a, a massive business, a hundred million dollar business um, of financial lines and executive risk special specialists. Um, so brokers who are specializing in directors and officers uh, liability, professional insurance liability, um, mergers and acquisitions, uh, cyber um, and financial institutions. So a large and growing business. Um, and it's certainly been an amazing um, four years in terms of having the privilege to, to lead that business, you know, from having the opportunity to you know, create the strategy um, in terms of where we're going to be going for that, that business. We're four years into our five year plan. Um, and I was saying to my CEO only on Tuesday, actually, that, you know, we are a year ahead in terms of um, where we said that we would be from a, a financials perspective, which is tremendous. Um, so before I joined um, uh, this particular role, I had the opportunity to spend seven months in Singapore uh, looking after the financial lines business for Asia. Um, that was kind of like a, a troubleshooting role where um, the existing uh, individual needed to leave the organization. So it was a great opportunity just to um, you know, pack your bags, go out, um, really do, um, you know, a lot of investigative work around the organization, understanding, you know, who we had where, because we weren't clear on where our folks were. And again, to really be very clear in terms of what our opportunities were, what the growth kind of plans could potentially be, put a strategic plan in place, 
find the ultimate person who is going to lead that business and then hand it over to that individual. So, you know, that was a really, really good experience for me. Uh, before that, um, I was still in Finex, but I was um, had the opportunity to be the um, the sort of deputy CEO to Jeremy Wall, who's our global leader. He was very gracious in allowing me to um, to learn a lot about the business from him. Um, before that, I was his uh, COO, so again, learning lots in terms of the operational side of the business. And before that, I spent time in Mumbai. So I spent two and a half years in Mumbai. Um, running our um, captive operations out there. So effectively, we've got a big team. I mean, today it's about three and a half thousand people. When I was there, it's about 1,600. Um, we've got folks who look after claims, accounting and settlements, um, placing and billing, so invoicing all of our sort of pre-renewal work, actuaries, catastrophe modelers, you name it, we've got a very talented team. So two and a half years spent in, um, in Mumbai, um, and before that, interestingly, HR. So I actually joined Willis Taz Watson in an HR role. Um, and I was fortunate enough to um, have a client base that just happens to be, you know, the CEOs, the presidents of the various different lines of business within Willis Taz, or I guess Willis at the time, I was going to say Willis Taz Watson, um, but at Willis at the time. And that just gave me the opportunity to, um, you know, build my credibility and build my um, my networking uh, with those individuals. And each of the times I've then sort of been able to identify, actually, there's an opportunity coming up here. You know, I'll make the most of my relationships that I've got with these senior folks to then you know, effectively ask whether I can apply for various jobs. And the Mumbai one was the turning point for me in terms of, you know, where I've got to today, I would say. So, um, so that's Willis Taz Watson. And then just quickly before that, um, you know, my HR career is probably about 10 years. Um, working for uh, Manpower, the recruitment company, um, but then AEA Technology, who sadly don't exist anymore um, in different HR kind of roles. And then going way, way back, I didn't go to uni. I did my A-levels um, and actually wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but decided actually I really liked John Lewis as an organization um, and had the privilege of being um, a management trainee with them. And I had five years of management training well, not five years, two years of management training, and then I was five years with them as a, a retail manager, and then a number of years in various retail organizations. So very broad, very different, probably a very unusual career path. Um, but hopefully that's why today might be interesting, hopefully, um, and I can give kind of guidance and advice along the way. So uh, I mean, you've got such a wealth of experience touching on so many different sectors to got to where you've got to has um, having opportunities in such different areas and kind of starting off not even in insurance to then get to where you've got to been useful? I think so. Um, you know, for me, it's always been about learning. You've got to learn. And, you know, thankfully, I've never been in a situation where, you know, the learning has stopped. I think if the learning stops at that point, you know, it's kind of game over as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, it's always been around, you know, can I learn? Am I going to grow? Um, and am I going to enjoy the people that I'm going to be working with? And, you know, those things are really, really important. And I always think that, you know, don't ever say, um, you know, don't be scared, I guess, is the message, because at times, you know, some of these roles can feel pretty daunting. But actually, 
you know, you've just got to go for it. You've got to back yourself, really. Um, and um, and hopefully it'll be OK. And you know what? If it isn't, then it's learning from your mistakes. But hopefully you've got a good enough bosses to um, to help you along the way. So if you do make those mistakes, it's not not completely catastrophic. And just a follow up question we've had on that. Um, so what would you say is the most transferable of your outside of insurance skills or learnings that you've had? Most transferable. Um, well, I think the one thing that that plays, you know, strongly throughout is, you know, my you know, commitment to actually treating people fairly. So um, someone once told me and it was in one of an early part of my HR career, we were having to do an awful lot of redundancies. So just some horrible time. And someone sat me down and just said, you know, make sure that you treat that individual in the same way that you would, you know, if it was your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your uncle, your aunt. And that has stood me in really good stead for anything that I've done. So, you know, in business, you have to make difficult decisions, but it's the way that you convey those decisions, the way you convey those messages. And hand on heart, you know, I can be very proud to think that, you know, even when it's been very difficult, folks, you know, I'm still in touch with folks that perhaps we've had to exit from for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know if that answers the individual's question, but to me, that's so, so important. Yeah, and it kind of leads quite nicely onto another question we've had. Um, you're still in touch with people as part of your network and someone's asked how important is your network to you? Look, it's really important. And I think. But it's one of those things, particularly now we're in lockdown and we've been in lockdown for a long time that you can let slip, actually. And I was having a conversation with um, a young lady, uh, not in my business, in another business, when we were trying to finalise our membership for ISC Group for this year. And ISC Group, as you know, a lot of you will know, have been very focused this year in terms of their three levels of membership. Um, and we get good statistics in terms of, you know, our members, whether they've been attending sessions or not. And I just had a conversation with this lady and I just said to, you know, it's such a shame that you haven't, you know, been able to use your membership too much. And, you know, she was just explaining that just things had just got on top of her, too busy, too much going on. And I think that, you know, that's such a shame. We've got to, um, we've got to make time for ourselves. We've got to make time to, you know, attend sessions like this. Um, and this is all part of, you know, re-establishing our network, but also making new connections as well. And I think that networking is really, really important. You can't underestimate the value. Um, you know, it can be that as a result of your network, you know, you'll get your next role. Or just the fact that at times we all need people that we can go and talk to. Um, and I think the power of networking should never be underestimated. But in lockdown, it can be hard because, you know, you might end up being on a, an ISC group session. You don't know anybody, but it's like, come on, just just do it. You'll get so much out of it. Um, it's so powerful. Do you have any recommendations for people trying to build their network, um, new joiners or um, even higher up? Yeah, so I think that firstly, of course, and this isn't a continuous plug for ISC group, but a fantastic, it is the best female network um, that you can, you know, become part of for the insurance um, industry. So, you know, that is a fantastic way. And they make it easy for you. They've even got, um, you know, a, a facility where, you know, you can sign up to say you want to network and they will put you in touch with people. So that's one way. 
I think um, within your own companies, you can get involved in various different projects that are not part of your own business area. For example, I chair the UK Inclusion Diversity Council um, at Willis Taz Watson. Um, and as part of our inclusion diversity work, we've got various what we would call employee resource groups or networks. Um, so people can join those so if they're passionate about um, workability or they're passionate about multicultural inclusion. You know, you can join these networks. You will have the opportunity to work on different projects. You will get to know other people. Um, and that is the easiest way of, of starting to form these new relationships, which will become part of your new network. Of course, LinkedIn, you know, people, you know, will use LinkedIn as part of their networking. Um, LinkedIn's great, but at times you get all these kind of random um, folks wanting to network with you and you're not quite sure why. Um, so you might click, yeah, okay, accept. And then the next thing is, it's like almost like a sales tool. You're getting bombarded with stuff where you just think, oh my word. So I think you can be a little bit more choosy potentially um, with some of those things. But yeah, they would be my, my kind of tips and hints. Brilliant. And then um, someone has asked, um, do you still use your Mumbai network? I do, actually. I do. And, um, and I don't know if she's on the call this evening, but um, uh, Sandia uh, Keeney, who is or was the, the head of HR, um, I know that as they've expanded, her role's expanded. And there's someone else, I think, that um, is also kind of, you know, leading the HR piece. But Sandia dropped me a little note earlier just saying, you know, I hope it goes really well later on. Um, so, yes, definitely Sandia. And actually, there are quite a few others um, who I keep in touch with as well. So um, they're an amazing team and it's still a very special time that I remember very fondly. And, and I actually just, yeah, I loved it. It was a great time. Uh, I mean, do you mind expanding a little bit on your experience in Mumbai, how you found it, the different culture? Yeah, I mean, I just have to say, wow, it was just tremendous, not only on a personal level, but on a business level. So, you know, before I went out there, um, I was fortunate enough to know that the guy that was out there running Mumbai as the CEO, he'd been there three and a half years. And I knew he only had six months left to go there because we rotate around all the time. Um so I basically asked, I just asked our then president, um, I remember him laughing, saying, well, why on earth would you, well, one, why would you go? But number two, how could you do that? You know, you are, at that time, I was the HR director for the UK. How on earth can you possibly do that when you're HR? And it's like, well, you don't know me. You don't know my background. Um, you know, part of my history at one point in time, I used to, um, when I worked for Manpower, not on their recruitment side, but their contact centre side, was working in the north of Scotland, looking after their BT contact centre. So BT contact centre, Willis Taz Watson, mm, maybe, but contact centre concept. So anyway, they, they interviewed me. Um, I was given the opportunity. I think people were quite, well, a few people were quite sceptical. Um, and there was actually a leadership change about three months before I was due to go. And the new leader um, asked to see me and basically just said they weren't sure that I would be able to do the role. So it was almost like, my goodness, you've had all these interviews, you've got the job and now maybe you haven't. So, you know, I expressed my deep disappointments um, and, you know, gave him every assurance that I was sure that I would do a very good job. Um, anyway, long story short, you know, got on the plane, managed to, to get out there um, and it was phenomenal. So I think 
one, the fact that I got to learn so many aspects of the business. It was effectively like a general management role. So, you know, you've effectively got um, all your kind of HR side, which, of course, I was familiar with, but IT, operations, governance, compliance, then learning all the different kind of parts of Willis um, Towers Watson. I keep saying Willis Towers Watson because, of course, it's in my brain now, but it used to be Willis. Um, having a, a management team, um, you know, who were absolutely tremendous, but I wanted to kind of take it to the next level in terms of thinking about, you know, how do we as an organization, we were growing really fast, we were bringing in, you know, a couple of hundred people a year. I think in 2011, we had one of our biggest years where we had to hire 450 people in that particular year. And it's like, how do we cope with all of that? How do we cope with that change? Um, you know, what do we do in terms of retaining this amazing talent? What do we do in terms of identifying leaders? So a great opportunity just to create a blueprint effectively for, you know, talent retention, talent management, um, but just a great opportunity to learn the wider business. And I think it just allowed me the, the freedom in a way to just, you know, explore, test out my kind of strengths, weaknesses, um, and it's really set me up. Um, so that's on the business side, but on the personal side, just culturally, the people were just generous, um, hardworking. And I actually found it more difficult coming back to London with so many cynical people. I couldn't believe it. You know, the cynics of the London market compared to, you know, back in Mumbai where everybody just, you know, wants to do better you know there just isn't that cynicism um so i've probably just waffled on and on now but just yeah hopefully the enthusiasm for mumbai comes through loud and clear no i it's interesting to hear definitely and uh, just following did you find it hard being a woman out there was was that a challenge you had to overcome so i i had a and i have to be careful because i'm not sure he's on the call but um, but I think the individual doesn't work for us anymore anyway. So I had a real challenge with my finance director. Um, he, he was not, he, this is the first time he had ever had a, a woman as his boss. And I think that took quite a lot of getting used to. Um, you know, he would do various things to try and undermine me. And, you know, it took quite a few meetings one-on-one -on -one where you know I had to make it very clear actually that um, you know I was his line manager and irrespective of the fact that I respect the culture um, that I was working within he needed to respect the culture of working in a global organization where you know we don't treat women badly so it took a while um, but actually you know we ended up finding our path finding our way I think um, there might have been a few occasions, not within our own um, our own business, but dealing with some business people. So when we were having to negotiate contracts, um, particularly on the IT side, procurement, um, you know, some of the the men that I'd be dealing with probably thought I was there as the secretary, um, and those that know me really well would know that made me very angry. Um, so, but there's always a way. You know, you should always still be very professional but very, you know, direct and just very clear um, and equally as demanding um, as the guys, if not more. So um, it was a good way of, of learning how to handle those things. 
have you applied those learnings sort of as you come back to the UK and throughout your career? Daily. <laughs> Daily. But actually, I think the, um, I think, I don't want to use the word underhangs. I really don't mean that. I think some of the issues have been more subtle, um, whereas there it was just so blatant. Um, but yeah, I, I feel, you know, I'm confident in my own skin and, and, can, and can kind of tackle these things. You've just got to tackle it head on. Yeah, that's brilliant. And we've had one more question that's slightly linked, so I'm kind of seeing it from a leadership perspective. Um, do you have any lessons learned that you can share about uh, virtual management? Yeah, I think that um, it's absolutely critical that, you know, you are keeping all lines of communication open. I think when we all got sent home um, in March last year, we were very fortunate that we already had great technology. We had already been working agilely. Um, but it was even more important to be, you know, talking to people on a regular basis. But actually what I quickly then found was some folks were thinking, oh my goodness, are you checking on me? You know, why, why are you suddenly doing this? Now, my leadership style is I will have one-to-ones with all my direct reports every weekend. I just do that. But I like to do skip meetings. So you're going sort of one level down, two levels down. And I will just have, you know, regular, you know, coffee touch-ins with folks and we try as a business to make sure that we are, um, you know, doing all sorts of things. We used to have a lot of fun at work. I'm not saying we don't have fun now, but it's trying to be creative and think of fun things that we can do to just break the monotony up. Um, but the remote piece is really, you've just, it's all about communication, picking up the little signs, you know, making sure it's not just, um, you know, are you okay? It's how are you feeling today? and really just trying to um, engage in a deeper level of conversation so that you can pick up the little nuances when people aren't feeling good. Um, yeah. Um, has that been one of your biggest obstacles to overcome as you've um, sort of embraced the virtual world that we're now all in? I think one of the challenges actually is, is the monotony and where is the kind of, um, where the lines have been blurred then between home and work. So it would be just so easy to just come in, you know, log in first thing in the morning at like half seven once you've done your fitness and stuff. And you can still be here at half seven, eight o'clock at night. But actually you've got to you've got to be really disciplined. You've got to be disciplined to, you know, keep your mental health going. So whatever people do for that. For me, um, I like to use my exercise bike. It's not a Peloton for anyone thinks it is. It's not, it's just a regular exercise bike. You know, I like to do Pilates. Um, I like to do uh, mindfulness meditation. So, you know, for me, it's about making sure I've got the discipline to to be mentally fit as well as physically fit. And it'd be too easy just to lie in and just think, no, I'm not going to do it today. But actually, you've got to keep yourself fit and healthy to then be able to come and lead your business, motivate yourself and be resilient, I think, enough to you know, just tackle every day because some days it just feels like Groundhog Day when they're all just blurring into one, even the weekends, which is 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 tough. Yeah, I think we can all definitely relate to that, getting confused about which day of the week it is any given day. Well, you said that, <laughs> didn't you, yesterday? <laughs> like, I get it, I get it. Exactly. Um, so someone's asked, what are your predictions about the working world going forward and uh, embracing new work from home and technology? Yeah. So I think that um, 
Look, I think the office is um, so important. I think we we need to get a balance. It's so important for particularly folks who are just starting out in their careers um, to get that interaction. I was talking to someone earlier today and they were just saying, what we've lost is that connectivity. We've lost the kind of opportunity when we're in a lift or in a corridor to, you know, to just chat to, you know, more senior people in the organization to get known. Um, and, you know, we've got various kind of initiatives underway in terms of what we call a coffee randomizer, where, you know, your name will almost get put in this random list and you'll just get paired with someone senior so that you can have those conversations. But I think the work, um, you know, we've done well in terms of embracing technology, but I still think our clients are going to want to see us in person. I still think when you're broking complex risks, there's nothing better than doing that in person. But I don't think I can ever foresee that we'll be back in the office five days a week. I think we're going to have to be far more disciplined in terms of the role of the office. So whether it's induction, you know, getting new folks onboarded, getting them embracing the culture of the organization. You know, certain trainings are fair enough in terms of e-learning, but you just need to get people together. You know, for me, I want to be able to, um, you know, to get our business together. We call them town halls. I don't know what other um, companies call them, but you want to see everybody in one space at one time. So definitely my predictions are we'll probably go to a, an environment where potentially you're two, three days in the office and a couple of days at home. You could also think that depending on where people are in their careers, you know, if you're just starting out, you probably need more time in the office, actually, in your you know, you, your setup might not be ideal. You might be flat sharing, might be house sharing. Do you know what I mean? You just, the opportunity is just not as great as somebody, you know, privileged like myself that I've got my own space that I can work in. So I think depending on your role, depending on your level, depend on how much time in the office, but we all need to get back into the office and spend a bit of time together. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I just want to jump back slightly to your career path and where you are now. Um, You've obviously been very successful and very, very ahead of your five-year plan. What do you think has been a big driver of that? So I think one is you know, having this very clear strategic plan, um, which you know has taken a long time to formulate, but has taken input from a lot of others and really thinking about you know, having an external lens on where we think our industry will be, where we think our industry is going to go, what do our clients need? What are the kind of future risks, as it were? So figuring out where we as a business want to be, where we want to play, and then making sure we've got an amazing team. So I'm very fortunate to have fantastic business leaders that run each of the segments that I've just talked about. Um, you know, for me, it's around making sure that they are empowered, but they also are coached by me. Um, but we are one unit. So we all recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, we're very clear in terms of our vision and where we're going. And actually we are not apologetic in terms of making sure that, you know, we hire the most fantastic talent. But then to me, and probably this comes back to my, um, you know, my HR passions. For me, it's around, you know, trust and engagement and how do we get the best out of our people? So we put a lot of emphasis on, you know, making sure that people have every opportunity to succeed. They have every opportunity to um, to reach their potential. So we're always thinking about, you know, what we can do in terms of 
motivation? What do we do from a learning and development point of view? What do we do from a career development, career opportunity point of view? Um, and and there are kind of values that we we all sort of collectively work towards and live by. And you know, it's taken a lot of time. So you could just say, oh, you just got lucky. But I make sure that I say, you know what, this doesn't happen by mistake. We've got a fantastic team, a fantastic plan, um, fantastic people. And we work really hard at that. We work really hard. I work really hard to be very open and accessible to people. Um, you know, I'm always making sure that, you know, to me, it sounds cliche, but you know, our strategic assets are our people. We don't, in our organization, there, there isn't anything else. Um, and just really making sure that, you know, for me, it's around personal pride in knowing my team, knowing the members of my team, know what makes them tick. Um, and I say being fair, honest and transparent. No, it, it makes perfect sense. And would you say that's what you deem as the good qualities of a leader? And is there any others that you would touch upon or highlight to recommend to some of our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I just think that, um, you know, even in the tough times, you still need to treat people with respect. Um, and, you know, from my point of view, I often see myself as the cheerleader for our business. So when I've got to go out and I need to try and get you know, investment for extra headcount, you know, it's, it's incumbent on me to make sure that I have, you know, fully explained the successes that we have achieved in our business, you know, make sure, you know, I've used influencing skills to, um, to influence the leaders to part with, you know, the precious dollars to continue to um, invest in, in our business. And, about collaboration as well you know as a leader you need to collaborate um you've got to make sure that you know you're one of the the good individuals that wants to you know work across the organization with other areas of the business for the good of the client so um i would say all of those things rolled into one with a sprinkling a heavy heavy sprinkling of you know you've got to be yourself and you need to be very um you know very genuine and very authentic because people get caught out if they're not no, and um, so I've got two questions rolled into one here. Um, someone has asked, um, what excites you about your next role? And I guess in conjunction with that is, um, what would you consider the key activities in your current role to move you up to a, a, a perhaps higher one, more of a C-suite role? Yeah. Um, so I love to win. So I think, you know, the excitement is about growth. Um, the excitement is about you know, how we can take the business to the next level. How can we, um, how can we be the best? And therefore, in terms of the aspects of my current role to get to C-suite, I think that, you know, this last four years has taught me an awful lot. You know, there's been good times, bad times, terrible times. Um, but you learn and you know for me it's around how you deal with things when they go wrong how you learn from things but how you bounce back and I think that um, you know you can't you, you, you can't underestimate the power of learning for when something's gone wrong and um, I think the breadth of experience that I've now had 
you know, I'm ready for a bigger role, actually. You know, when I look back over my almost 30 years, in fact, it is 30 years to date, um, you know, every sort of two to three years, you've, you've kind of done something different. And um, someone said to me back in uh, 2017, probably two months into this role, gosh, all you ever do is flip from job to job, um, which is a little bit unfair, but I understood what they're saying. But actually, you know, four years into this role now, you know, we have done such a, a great job. You know, we've grown the business exponentially. Um, I've learned lots of different aspects. And I think that, um, yeah, bring it on for the next role, quite frankly. Um, you know, whether it's, I don't mind. I think part of it is around being open to the opportunity. And for me, continuing to grow, but also I would want to use the skills that I've learned to date, um, to help the organization continue to grow and move forward yeah and i mean you've mentioned different jobs different opportunities how do you know when to when you are ready to move on to the next one um how do you know when to say yes i think sometimes you've got to be um bold to say yes before you're even ready frankly um and I think when you start, when you think you've been through a few business cycles, so every every company has its own cycle. So whether you've been, you know, the typical thing, so start of the year, you know, the budget process. Once you've been through, you know, four or five cycles of a budget process, for me, you know, I've come in, I've created this, you know, five-year plan with four years in now, say a year ahead of where we said we would have been in terms of the financials. We've grown, we've got investment, we've delivered against the investment it's then you start to think, okay, so I've got a bit of time on my hands now because it's not all new all the time. So, you know, how can you start dabbling in other things? Um, you know, so a lot of time at the moment is also taken up in, you know, my UK IND chair role. So, you know, what am I doing on that piece? You know, what am I doing to help talent throughout the organization? So mentoring folks, mentoring people that are not in my business. And I think for me, you know, if I'm feeling I've got a little bit of time on my hands that I'm thinking, hmm, okay, what is next then? What, what could I do next? What, what is the next opportunity? Um, and you've just got to be very open, I think, to it. I think if your mind is closed, you know, probably you're not going to see what those opportunities are. Um, for legal reasons, I can't talk about the pending combination that's coming up. But for me, um, you know, what I will say is, you know, it's an exciting time and there will be great opportunities. Um, you know, for our great people. So it's just being very open to what those opportunities are. Amazing. And you actually touched on one thing I wanted to lead on to next, which is mentoring. Um, what's been your most memorable or informative or interesting uh, mentoring experience to date? Oh, um, there's been a lot, but I think one of the most memorable questions someone said to me is, um, what are you reading at the moment? And I was like, well, that's a bit bizarre. But actually, I sort of thought about it. I thought, oh, actually, that's really quite clever. Um, and they didn't mean like a, I don't know, like a romantic novel or something like that, or maybe, maybe even a murder mystery. They were just like, you know, what is what is the latest kind of book on your Kindle, which I thought was quite a cool question. Um, and just in case anyone does want to know, and actually, I've just finished it, but it's called why men win at work and how to make inequality history and I actually really enjoyed it and picked up some tips because some of the books you read you're just like mm, no I don't think so they're really hard graph they're hard to get through um so that was probably one of the interesting questions um 
but probably most memorable in fact I think probably I can't remember time wise maybe three years ago when we were kicking off um one of our mentoring programs we did it as like a speed mentoring event so it was in our London office gosh it feels like a long time ago we we're all back in our offices but we were in our London office and um I've never done speed dating but it was like speed mentoring and literally five minutes and you have the chance to like meet so many different people and um and I won't mention her name because she might be on the call but this lady just really you know when you just get an instant rapport and you're just like this is so cool anyway so she asked if she could um, be mentored by me and it's just been the most brilliant relationship so you know I've seen her grow I've seen her move into different areas um unashamed unashamedly she told me she was going to be leaving the business so I I kind of managed to point out there was a rather exciting role in Finex um, that she might want to apply for but at that point I would no longer be able to be her mentor because she'd be in my own business um, but she's just been great and I have I think today I've got five mentors uh, mentees sorry that I mentor um, and I love it I get a lot out of it um, it's just a very um, it's just a very cool thing to do and you learn a lot as well so yeah I love it And do you mind telling us a little bit about your reverse mentoring experience? Yeah, so um, so at Willis Taz Watson in the UK, we have launched a reverse mentoring program for our multicultural and inclusion network members. Um, so I've been very fortunate to um, to be given a um, uh, a mentee, although actually it's me that's the mentee. Um, but the whole idea of this is that we wanted as leaders to you know really learn from our um, ethnic minority colleagues um, in the business in terms of you know what is it like to be a person of ethnicity working in our company um, you know what do they observe what do they experience you know in terms of our inclusion and diversity objectives and the policies and the procedure you know, how did what do they actually think so we're three months in and you know some of the topics are really around um you know respect and inclusion at work so what are these individuals feeling are we are we doing the right thing um and we're quite you know it's quite early on in the journey so considering for me we're three months and we meet for an hour once every month we're just at that stage where you know we're we're, we're trusting each other now so we're learning things and i've been I feel so, um, so sort of, um, I suppose, honoured, it sounds a big word, but it, I really mean it, to be able to have this opportunity to have somebody who's so open to talk to me about their experiences, um, you know, without divulging anything, because it's completely confidential, but, you know, as a leader, to hear somebody, um, this black lady explaining, you know, her family background, you know, it's from the Caribbean, and she was explaining to me that, you know, the way she's been brought up is that she should be grateful for everything that she gets. So when I'm sort of chatting to her about, well, have you done this, have you done that? And because, of course, it's reverse. So I'm supposed to be learning, but I'm there to help her with her career, too. Some of the things that she tells me, I would never have thought of. So as a leader now to have this additional lens where you're looking and thinking, OK, so there's people in my business who are quiet, who aren't sort of putting up their hand because they're 
culture, their background, is that we would pick up that they are ready for a promotion, they're ready for an opportunity. So it's really made me sort of start to think and question around, you know, how we identify talent that's potentially, you know, not the noisy one, not the one that's always pushing, pushing and making sure that we don't miss people actually. Um, but I say we're only three months in, we've got a long way to go and I've got so many more questions that I want to ask her. Um, and for me, this is about my education, my learning to try and make it a better workplace for everybody. And I guess that just leads on to, um, do you think continuing to learn and develop is important as a leader? And how, how do you recommend people keep doing that? Yeah, I really do. I think that, you know, whether it's, you know, keeping up to date with current affairs, making sure you've got an external perspective on what's happening on your industry by reading widely. Um, I think certainly for our business, because we have a lot of apprentices, there's an apprentice levy where we can, um, you know, allow people to have the opportunity to do a master's or an MBA or, or some form of learning. And, you know, for me, my most recent kind of formal um, education was in 2017, um, timing perfect, just so lucky to be sponsored by the company to, um, to go to Cranfield to their management school and do their director program, which was their, their most senior program at the time. And, you know, just, just bits of education that you just miss along the way. So, you know, how fantastic to be in an, in an environment like that, where you've got, you know, like-minded, you know, CEOs, MDs, leaders that you can learn from. Interestingly, it doesn't matter which kind of organization industry, everybody has the same sort of issues and challenges, but, you know, that was a year long program where, you know, you're getting a lot of theory, you're doing a lot of case studies, um, you know, you're learning about strategy, you know, you're learning in terms of, you know, marketing. So all the key kind of basics that you would need, but at a very senior level in terms of, you know, how to run and lead a business. Um, so that was so, so important. And I would just say to everybody, just, you know, any opportunity again you have like that, that was hard because, you know, you're just into your new job, but you're having to take time out a week at a time to go away and, and do this course. Your emails are still happening in the background. You still got to deliver all the stuff that you need to deliver, but you just owe it to yourself to, you know, if you're that minded, if you're not, that's cool as well, but, you know, just owe it to yourself to just, um, to just, yeah, study if you can, whatever form that might take, but just always be curious, always, always have questions that you want to know um, and just do as much reading as you can, I think. And just as a tip, you've mentioned sort of time, work-life balance with that. Have you, have you got any advice for everyone? Yeah, and I, I've said this recently, and then someone kind of, it was a bit of a slap down in terms of really, so I'll, I'll kind of explain. So yeah, so for me, you know, I'm very clear, I'm going to do my fitness in the morning, because if I don't, I'm going to feel rubbish. So even if it's a wet, miserable day, and I'm thinking, oh, I could just actually just stay in bed and I don't know read the online paper but it's like you need to get up because you're going to feel so much better for doing it so it's doing that every time every day I've got lunchtime blocked out so you know I'm out across the fields with my dogs um, and getting some fresh air and getting some exercise at lunchtime now of course if it's a client meeting or something like that of course that's going to take priority but I try and make sure I've blocked time out um, I have to say I'm, I'm not great in terms of the, the evenings. I could just be online all the time, but I try and lead by example, actually. And I'm like, right, okay, well, we've got deadlines. 
this week we were working on all our compensation returns so actually it's a late night we were still on calls at half eight quarter to nine at night and of course depending on what kind of role you've got if you've got a global role you've got to adjust your timings anyway if you've got to talk to people in Australia and then you've got to talk to people in Asia so um so I think the thing is my advice is you've got to it's a bit like what they say to you on an airplane you know get your own oxygen mask on first you've got to look after your own mental health first because if you don't how can you look after others so you need to be as mentally fit as healthily fit um and you have to log off you can't be constantly online you absolutely can't for me um you know, I'll make it very clear to folks if I'm going on holiday, for example, but I say to them, but if you need me, text me, because that way I'm not having to constantly um, look. That said, I am a bit of a, a control freak and I always need to know just, you know, what's going on, what's going on. But again, as part of learning, I was reading a book recently, don't ask me the title because I can't remember, but, um, and it was actually explaining different people, whether you're, in terms of your network, whether you're a broker or whether you are a segmenter or something, 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 you can tell I didn't really like the book, but um, basically it was saying that you, the way that you can sort of have your work-life balance is perhaps, you know, you just want to make sure that everything's actually okay. And then you've had a quick check and it's fine. And the context of this was this organization would just say, right, on a Friday, we're switching off all the IT so your emails can't come in. Or on a holiday you won't get your emails but everybody works differently so the message is take breaks be very clear about the breaks um do your fitness that's really important take your holidays so many people had holiday carryover this year um and I know what I was going to say sorry so one of the youngsters said to me oh that's all well and good but you lead this business so you can take breaks but I can't and I was like no you must take your break and like, yeah, but you're well established and I'm not well established because I'm new and I'm still trying to build my career, build my credibility. And I thought that was such a good point that they made. So I was at least sort of aware from that point of view. But I don't I think irrespective, we've got to have managers and leaders working for us who are encouraging our folks to take breaks. You have to. You've got to have a holiday. You've got to have a break. Yeah, definitely agree. What would be your advice to leaders of the future in terms of potential blind spots? Yeah, blind spots. Well, I think I'm hoping that um, that this reverse mentoring experience for me will help me with blind spots. So, you know, just the example of, you know, this person just sort of saying to me that she's just grateful because that's what her dad's taught her. And it's like, gosh, you know, you can't, can't just assume that and and I don't anyway so please don't misunderstand I was going to say just you can't underestimate the fact that everyone's backgrounds are different I don't so I do I, I don't underestimate that but just you know this whole thing for me is around you know making sure that everybody can reach their own potential and where they want to get to and you know, that means different things to different people, but it's making sure when I keep coming back to the quiet people, the quiet people are just as good, if not better. Um, and often I remember this saying, my dad always used to say it to me, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And he's so true, you know, and I say to the men in my team now, and, you know, when we were going through the, uh, you know, the promotion rounds, every time I was like, okay, but what about X? So you've picked up Y, Y being the guy. What about X being the girl? And they're like, oh, but she, you know, she hasn't said she's ready. But that is the point. So I think that to me is, you know, blind spot. I think um, other blind spots are, 
you know, where you could be so wedded to your strategy that you haven't taken that in external lens, that you haven't had that wider view and therefore you might miss something. You know, it's that classic, you think about, um, you know, some organizations today that aren't around because clearly their leaders have blind spots in terms of the future. I mean, who knows from a technology point of view, you know, where things land, you know, who who's gonna miss the boat next kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's kind of my thought. Definitely. Um, one question from perhaps the perspective of the girl that's sitting there, not in the promotion discussions, but being discussed. Do you have any advice for her? Yeah, I think that um, as, as uncomfortable as it may feel, you know, you have to make sure that you are speaking up. You have to. You absolutely have to. You've got to speak up. Um, you need to be able to, um, you know, articulate your dreams, articulate, you know, what you're hoping for, because as good as your line manager will be, they're not a mind reader. And you know what, you might not have a very good line manager. I certainly hope you have, but if you don't, you need to um, be saying that. And also somebody that works for me, um, I was quite surprised. We were doing her end of year review and I was looking and I was thinking, oh my God, so you said that you've done that. And of course, I mean, I, I, I believe her. But what really annoyed me was that a guy had said that he had done this stuff. And so it was only in her written summary that she had said that she had done this. Whereas the chap had been broadcasting, I've done this, I've done that. And you just think, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. You know, just, just make sure, you know, that you are getting recognition and I know that's hard but you're getting the recognition for what you've done um just you've got to speak up you've got to you've got to be confident and even if you don't feel confident well then just fake it frankly um and I don't mean and here you go I probably have all these people say oh what you said about being authentic yes I know but you know deep breath and just be confident you have to be even if you don't feel it inside you've got to no that's brilliant advice um do you sit on any boards and do you think they're useful for women yeah, so I'm lucky enough to be on the ISC um, board. Um, and, you know, that is, um, it's a real learning and insight for me in terms of, um, you know, what, what does that mean? What are your responsibilities? Um, I have, as part of my own personal development, um, uh, joined up to be a member of, um, it's an online uh, group, Women on Boards. And there's lots of educational um, sessions that they provide. They also provide, um, you know, current lists of uh, non-executive director positions. Actually, the ISC group, um, some of their broadcasts that they do are around how to get on boards. So I think that, um, you know, it's certainly uh, a good way of learning. I think if you can... Um, if you can give up the time, it's good. And then someone said to me, because I was talking about this in terms, of, you know, where do you, where does your career go? Do you want to end up, you know, being on a, a number of boards? So you've got like a portfolio career. I actually still really like being in the corporate world. Um, and it doesn't mean to say if you're on many boards, you're not. But I think at this point in time, you know, I still, I still think I've got more, more to give. And I would certainly like to, to have, you know, bigger roles in, in the corporate world before going to be a, a board, an NED, for example. Um, 
and it's an awful lot of responsibility I mean I'm not frightened of that but you know you certainly think about um, particularly in the financial services industry where we're all under the FCA you think my goodness you can go to jail for some of the things um, so you know it's not a responsibility to be taken lightly um, but yes yeah, so that's sorry waffling now that's that's my only experience but um, hopefully there'll be more in the future. That's uh, a great answer and um, one other question that has been asked is who are your business role models? Ooh, who are my business role models? That's so hard. That's really hard. Um, so there's, and when I'm thinking, about, I can think about non-Willis Taz Watson, but at Willis Taz Watson, we have um, our ex-boss um, who used to lead financial lines globally. Um, has just had a you know tremendously successful career and in the last couple of weeks been named um, onto the um, exco for the new combined organization um and just like wow in terms of role model for career advancement very very impressive um and then for me externally so out of the organization um there's a, a lady who actually used to be our head of HR, so our group head of HR. And you know, she's just been very inspirational to me just in terms of the way she's been very compassionate towards her, her teams, but also her work ethic. Um, but also what I have really been impressed is she's always, she's always still had her partner by her side. And despite the fact that, you know, the rigor of her working day her working life traveling around the world she's still been very solid and remained very true to her sort of family values in terms of being you know there for her family and her partner so yeah I that's that's a tough one but that that yeah that they would be my two amazing and wrapping up uh, there's one question I want to ask you because I think it's going to end on quite a positive note um What's exciting you about the future of insurance? What excites me is the change, the rapid change. So the, um, the opportunity that technology will bring. So I'm excited at the fact that you know, there's going to be tech solutions, but actually through the technology, the data that we are going to be able to gather and to analyze to really help clients. And actually for us, it's more around you know, prevention of issues so it's thinking, you know, how does our data today provide really deep insight and analysis that we become, you know, a trusted advisor, a trusted partner. So it's not really about the broke, the placement. It's more about becoming these kind of, you know, trusted consultants. And I think um, I think that's the way forward. But it's definitely technology driven. Yeah, I definitely think we're in for quite a lot of change over the next couple of years and not more. Um, but that's absolutely perfect. And thank you, Olivia, for your time. And thank you, everyone else, for listening. I hope you found it um, enjoyable and insightful. Thank you very much.